The Fertility Podcast. Hello, welcome to episode 13 of The Fertility Podcast. 13, definitely not unlucky for me as I'm putting this out a week ahead of my due date. If you've just joined listening to The Fertility Podcast, I'm expecting my first baby having had successful fertility treatment and decided to launch this podcast last September. Had fertility treatment and being um, a radio and audio person and finding that there was nothing out there to listen to made in the UK. It's all kind of made in the states and there's definitely chat on different radio stations that i'm sure you might have heard if you listen in the uk the likes of radio 4 or lbc but otherwise podcasts about fertility are produced in the states and i wanted to do something in the uk with the huge and constantly growing fertility network that there is online and um, out and about every day to speak to fertility experts to speak to coaches to speak to all sorts of people involved from an industry point of view but also real stories which is what you can hear if you listen back to episodes 1 to 12 by all means you can start here if you like these episodes aren't chronological but if you are just venturing into the world of dealing with an issue affecting your fertility there's lots of brilliant information for you and you can subscribe at the website thefertilitypodcast.com you can subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and if possible if you can leave me a review it makes such a difference to spreading the word about this podcast because it's all about what people think that's how podcasts grow if you're new to podcasts then I really hope you enjoy this idea of having something plugged into your ears or maybe you're listening at home on your computer or in your car but this is a personal piece of content that you've decided to listen to so enough about podcasts hopefully you know where to sign up if you haven't already and how to leave a review because that is all a brilliant part of what's going on here I found an amazing amount of people on Twitter tweeting about their stories. If you listen to episode 10 of the Facility Podcast, you'll know that was called Ladies of Tweetsville. And then I found blogs that people are writing. And the couple that we're going to hear their story next is a lady that I found on Twitter. She tweets about her journey through secondary fertility. This is Jane that you're going to hear talking and her husband, Howie. She tweets at completing TF. Her blog is completingtf.wordpress.com. All those details will be in the show notes. And what I do want to say as a bit of a disclaimer is Jane gives a lot of detail about what she went through. So just bear that in mind. It's nothing gory. She just gives a detailed account of the different procedures, of different things that she went through. And she refers to procedures that might be a bit more than you're used to hearing about. So have a listen. This is a truly courageous story of a couple's determination to complete, as they call it, their family. And I really hope that you enjoy what you're about to hear. So I'm here with Jane and Howie, who are a couple with a remarkable story. Jane blogs at Completing the Family and is on Twitter at Completing TF. I'm going to put all the details on the show notes after the podcast. First of all, Jane and Howie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And what we're going to focus on is is secondary infertility. Now, I found you from your blog, which uh, we'll talk about. The blog's called Completing the Family. And where we're going to start is your story when it came to trying again because you've got a five-year-old daughter she's six and a half now six and a half yeah yeah so can you tell me about when you decided to try again 
and the moment that you found out that things just weren't going to plan? We Before she was even one, we decided we wanted to try again, which is actually just as well we did, because um, a year went by and nothing had happened. And normally when you go to the doctors, they tell you to wait a year anyway before they're even willing to entertain the idea of talking about problems and then we went to a lot of different doctors at the beginning they they missed polycystic ovaries at the very beginning like he just did the usual weight check and height check and all that and basically relax and carry on trying and have have, fun how yeah have fun which it just does not become fun and it was just frustrating and we didn't know where to turn to because we didn't with with our daughter it took six months but we clearly had problems and wanted to find some answers so where did you go did you continue on the nhs or did you go private at that point when you were just getting a bit frustrated with not really getting the support that you wanted we went private pretty quickly fortunately we were able to a lot of people can't having been to one hospital who missed even like i say polycystic coverage which are not very hard to diagnose not that I'm a doctor but you you can tell on a scan that wasn't even my main problem when we went to the second clinic he did a few procedures and found that I'd had really bad adhesions as a result of having my first baby and he was an emergency cesarean so even from going private you went to a second clinic so you weren't happy with the first yeah yeah Yeah, we did we went to a second clinic which was recommended by a friend who I really valued her opinion and how she felt about the doctor she saw. So I went to see him and I'm really glad I did. He found what he found. It was a combination of treatment and lots of different procedures and waiting in between, months and months of waiting in between. Tell me about what you mean. Was that a conversation of you're going to need fertility treatment or you're going to need this treatment before we can see if you can still conceive naturally? Pretty quickly we knew we couldn't conceive naturally. I remember my parents were away at the time and I was crying on the phone to her, telling her that I wouldn't be able to, probably wouldn't be able to have my own baby and be pregnant again. Yes, I was fortunate enough to know what that feels like but it still doesn't feel very nice when you're planning on having another one and then all of a sudden you've been told that you probably won't be you know it's not likely the scarring was so bad and my lining of my uterus was very thin he did procedures like saline procedures and lots and lots of scans and everything what kind of support were you getting whilst these treatments were going on was there counseling offered by the clinic was there people talking to you and your husband about what you were going through or was it just you need this then you need this then you knew this and you were seeking out external support we were weren't offered any help we were never given any brochures we were never told and potentially might have read in the waiting room something on the wall about miscarriage and counseling for that I, I vaguely remember that but there was never any mention of support group you know anyone to speak to none of our friends had ever been through anything that we knew of we were very open with our friends from the beginning because quite frankly my parents don't live round the corner, um, very close to my parents, but and you know, would have liked that physical support, but we didn't have it. And we've got lovely close network of friends, and we decided, you know, rather than I'm not saying they talk behind our backs, but rather than speculation, 
we wanted to be honest and open about it and now I'm being we're being honest and open about it because we want to be able to help and support other people going through it so what period of time are we talking from when you established that there were these lesions and you're going to have to have treatment I'm just going to bring in your other half to go into the finer detail of time frames because I mean I know from when I had my fertility treatment which was more straightforward we established a problem we were told we needed the treatment that keeping a journal for me because there was an overwhelming amount of information which you know you don't even expect to have to take in and and I only know from looking back because I've since had friend friends that have gone through it that I've like you wanted to support them that I've realised how much was going on. So there is a lot to take on. And when, like you say, you're not getting the support. So the point where you're told, okay, this isn't straightforward, there's this problem, we're going to give you this treatment, and you're preparing for fertility treatment, how long are, are you given to have it, deal with it, and then be ready? Well, I mean, it was... We we saw the second consultant about a year and a half after we began trying he obviously quickly found that Jane had these adhesions and it wasn't a case, we couldn't start the fertility treatment straight away because he needed to operate on her. So he operated on her in the August, but obviously her body needed to heal and recover. So it's a case of, well, you have to wait a number of months before you can, can even consider then going through fertility treatment. So I think it was probably not until the beginning of the following year that we started with the fertility treatment. So it took that long. Now, in episode 11 of the Fertility Podcast, I talked to a lady called Dr. Marilyn Glenville, who specialises in supplements and nutrients and how they can help the body heal. And her focus is very much on when there's a natural fertility issue or even a undiagnosed infertility issue. And one of her issues was that it's just not discussed on the NHS at all. Was there ever any discussion about diet and nutrition and how that could help yeah, well, with me, I was recommended to, again, with my diet and obviously to look after myself. But in regards to supplements, consultants didn't actually recommend any supplements to me. And what about you? No, I mean, it was only, are you taking Pregnacare when, when, you know, when you're trying? Make sure you have folic acid. I don't know anybody who is trying for a baby that doesn't know that already. A- apart from that, no, I was not given any advice on anything okay. like that. So let's move forward to the fertility treatment. So you're ready and you're going private for IVF. We were fortunate that we could, at that moment in time, go private. Now, the treatment, unfortunately, wasn't very straightforward. We had four cycles in total. And on your blog, I know you're retelling this whole period of time and how at one point you were pregnant from one of the IVF cycles. So just talk me through how you felt at that point with the IVF cycle being successful and you were pregnant and then obviously things changed how, how you dealt with that as a couple being determined to carry on oh well, it was the, it was the, second, the attempt. second attempt that I got pregnant we were obviously happy but I knew pretty soon on it wasn't right they just didn't feel right telling the doctors I am bleeding and it is not normal how much I'm bleeding and the doctor kept saying it's fine it's normal it can happen you know every pregnancy is different but I knew it wasn't right and he was like my wife bled the amount that I was losing just but we somehow got through six weeks we had so many scans one one bank holiday we were desperate for a scan weren't we because that was um, after 12 weeks. Um, I eventually was confirmed at 12 and a half weeks that we literally had a scan and there was nothing there, having obviously had a heartbeat and everything before that. 
I ended up on a drip in A&E. We had to have a horrendous discussion about how do we get rid of the rest of the pregnancy. So I took tablets rather than have a DNC because my problem with the adhesions that was preventing me from being pregnant in the first place would only have been made worse by a DNC. So I took the medication, stayed in overnight, nothing happened, ended up having to have a DNC, which wasn't complete. So I ended up getting an infection and ending up in A&E on a drip. So I want to ask this to both of you, seeing as complete agreement that you'd go on and have a third cycle, or was it... We had frozen embryos, so we thought, well, we might as well give it a go. But the problem was, because of what happened with the DNC, we then went back to the clinic and we had to wait another five months and they had to operate on Jane again before we could even go for another cycle of IVF because of what had happened with the DNC. Were you scared for Jane about yes. her body being able to manage it? Yes, because I'd seen her when she got the infection and we, it was a Thursday night and she was shaking in bed uncontrollably because of low blood pressure because of the infection and I had to rush her to a and and I thought, I can't go through this. I actually think the scariest was when, uh, after one of my procedures, my bladder distended. At one point I had tubes coming out of me in various places and that, I, that was the scariest, I think. He still managed to eat a curry in front of me. <laughs> Sorry. I need food. Yeah. <laughs> so you recovered. You're only small, but you've obviously got strength of a, of a lion from, from the sounds of it. And um, you went through it again. You went through another IVF cycle. With a different clinic. So a third clinic. Yeah, a yes. third clinic. That wasn't through choice. The specialist we were with retired and, and transferred us and our embryos to the third and final clinic. No, not the final clinic. The third clinic. And we did used a, had a frozen cycle there. How did that compare to the other two did you feel different feel the same well we it was because it was a new clinic we didn't know whether to go fresh or use the frozen but we thought you know what it's obviously less impact and less harsh on my body so we went through the frozen cycle no regrets because we you know you don't know what's going to happen um i try not to look at stats and everything and try not to go on the internet too much because i don't agree with you know i think you can drive yourself mad and um we did a frozen cycle and it didn't work I just couldn't stop though because it was a new clinic. I we we had to do one last fresh cycle, and then we did say I, I couldn't. Uh, Howie was reluctant for me to do it, but we 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 agreed together that we just had to give it one last shot. We'd we would feel cheated if we didn't. The fourth cycle, you went fresh. Yeah, didn't work. I remember. I got really ill from the fourth cycle. The every clinic has different techniques, and whatever drugs they made me like, I was injecting and taking, and it, it, it was harsh. It was really harsh on the body. I mean, this clinic no, is known for like getting results. Obviously, not for everyone, and but it was harsh. I was really ill. I I almost hyperstimulated. I, in fact, I'm pretty sure I I, I think I did. I broke down it was just it was, it was all a bit of a mess but I mean it, it it has an impact on the body I was told that we produced really good embryos I think we had 12 you know we managed to freeze 10 and use two and she literally sat me down before she did the procedure and said if this doesn't work it's because you can't carry a baby these right. are really good embryos is that the first time someone had been so frank with you about what your um, body was capable of, would you say? 
it was it was actually that was the best thing someone has said because it's like well this either works and if it doesn't we have to do something else I think we just reached that yeah. point we had I mean it just it's just it had taken over our lives for four to five like five years the journeys to the clinic the stress were you off work the whole time I tried to go back to work but I just couldn't I was I teach and I was just like trying to take time to quickly have a tablet or I was wherever and I had to have an injection and and the stress and it takes it takes over your mind didn't work out and the waiting in between and the waiting for phone calls it just plays havoc with your nerves and stress and she sealed the deal by saying that she said what we'd been discussing and thinking anyway and we did we just knew that that was that I just couldn't and sadly it wasn't meant to be that realisation happens do you stop and take time out or have you already decided if this doesn't work we're going to go down a different path and that path is this no not at all no I mean we obviously tried to be optimistic although anyone going through it will tell you that you know nobody has the embryos implanted and think oh okay great I'm going to be pregnant in two weeks it just doesn't work like that we just sort of we actually said we'll be happy the three of us so tell me about the point where you decided on surrogacy because that's actually the path that you you decide to take how long a time frame did you give yourself to deal with the failed IVF you recovering literally it was a I suppose a chance meeting in a way it's crazy how quickly it happened we we know how incredibly fortunate we are we didn't rush it I would never rush something as huge as this. We discussed it. I think I I remember even broaching it with Howie and he was just like, huh, what? Neither of us knew anything about it. But considering it had taken us five years to get to that point, up to where we, you know, we'd tried four times, it hadn't worked, everything else, it happened. It literally fell into place and it is, you know, it's so cliched, but it just did. I met someone, I spoke to someone who joined me to a private Facebook group and within days I was t- I was told, oh, have you met this surrogate? Here's her name. I spoke to her days later. Days after that, I, we were in her house talking to her. Days after that, we were in a clinic with her and it we were but it just happened to be we were at a point in our lives where we 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 were so certain this is what we needed and wanted to do and we were happy with what we saw she was in she was at the right place that we needed her to be at vice versa she was ready to get on with it she was about to be a surrogate for somebody else and they fell pregnant miraculously and i really do mean miraculously i mean this girl had been abroad for treatment she'd spent hundreds of thousands of pounds and it's amazing that she managed to get pregnant but the surrogate that we went with had been to the clinic a clinic with this girl had had all the relevant tests blood tests everything so she was already joined to a clinic so we almost continued with her with this clinic where this girl had finished i mean they were so close to having implantation with this girl and luckily for us it never happened and so actually the surrogate that we used had never done it before the discussion to have a surrogate was there any conflicts at any points did it feel i mean obviously when you've been through fertility treatment you're already playing with science so 
the feeling of it being unnatural, so to speak, which I think all couples that go through fertility treatment have, have to deal with. No conflicts? Both of you were 100% behind it? No, we just were. I, I mean, there was no conflict whatsoever. It just felt like the right thing to do. It just, it just, it's just how it fell into place. And just thought, well, you know what? Let's give this a go. I think this is going to work. And it, it just felt right. We just clicked with her. She's, yeah. she is nothing like us. Nothing. But in a way, that's why it worked. We went for counselling with her. We met her partner. We met her children. She came to my house as well. I went out for lunch with her. And actually, the girl that was going to use her... Look, we're not fortunate to have had those hellish five years. But what happened after that, it's, it, it's almost... Looking back, and we believe me, we do quite often, it's surreal. It's just crazy what we went through. We knew nothing about surrogacy beforehand. You, Howie was reluctant, more reluctant than me... Um, I'm not saying I needed to persuade him because I would never do that. It's he was. I think we were both a bit like, "Wow, are we really going to do this?" What were, what were you reluctant about? Yeah, it's just the unknown. I mean, because yeah. yeah, I mean, literally, obviously, we didn't know anyone that had done it before, and you know, I didn't know the ins and outs of it, and obviously now, now I do. Because um, how do you manage unknown. your expectations? Like you've talked about a relationship, and you've talked about the kind of process of getting to know this person did you have ideas in your head of what you'd like it to be like we just had to be open-minded i mean at the end of the day you know she had to, i think the, the thing that struck me is she was so honest and open and i think that was for me that was the most important thing and she, she just told it how it was and that for me that was great and she looked after her kids she looked after her family and Even that her pets yeah and that meant that she looked she if she was carrying our you know our embryos that she'd be looking after them as well. So that was important. That was the most important thing for me. And and it, it, it almost annoys me that this is uh, something that... I don't watch Coronation Street, but, you know, the surrogate keeping the baby or running off with the baby. It's so untrue to the point that when the, it was mentioned in counselling, you know, about trust and everything, our surrogate turned around to us and said, she's as worried about as we would be about her wanting to keep the baby as us wanting to not have the baby I mean babies now because there's two but you know so that sealed the deal for me you almost realise that actually she's got to trust you as well yeah it's her body that's yeah. carrying that's carrying and we babies. look we respected her we looked after her as much as we could I went to every single scan with her and it was hardcore, you know, like travelling. And, and then when she got bigger, we, tra- we, tra- we, we used the hospital that was near her. We didn't want her travelling. Obviously, you know, not just looking after her, looking after the babies as well. We travelled, you know, a good two hours to get to her and spent hours waiting in the hospital. I mean, we looked into it before we did it. Or I went to see a specialist fertility lawyer, like number one in the country, and basically got advice on the whole thing. So okay. when we actually did go forward with it... I just wanted to make sure that from a legal perspective we were doing everything that we should be doing so that when it came to the end getting the ch- children's birth certificates though I wouldn't have a problem yeah um, and that was all e- that was all easy that was all fine now let's just go back to the use of babies because you now 
have twins. These were the frozen embryos from the fourth cycle? Remaining. Yeah, yeah, we put two back in her. We discussed it and we put two back in her, knowing full well we might end up with two. And yeah, six weeks when she was pregnant, six weeks scan, we found out that it was twins. I remember the day we spoke to her and oh, I'm going to get emotional now, but she told us um, that she was pregnant. Mm. Yeah. Because I know from, I mean, I've got a, a, a very close girlfriend who's just found out she's having twins from IVF after they decided to put two in. And as you doing that to your own body is a massive decision. So for somebody to do that as a surrogate, I think it's an incredible amount of trust from, from both sides. I mean, we agreed beforehand, you know, how many embryos were going to be put back in and, you know, what would happen if there was, because they obviously can split what would happen if there were more. So basically, we obviously, before we uh, set out on this, we put down all the ground rules. So, you know, we just sort of had an agreement, you know, where we all stood. Did your counselling give you any tips on how to develop the relationship with your surrogate? Because you, you need to nurture it as well, obviously. It's such a sensitive thing yeah. and a personal thing. How was that? To be honest with you, we went for the counselling because we had to. All I wanted from counselling was her to agree to do the counselling. I didn't feel we needed it. I kind of wanted a partner to come, just so that we knew he was in on it, that he was happy with it. And he did, he agreed and he came. We didn't need help building the relationship. It just happened. It just happened easily. We joked, she took the mick out of me. It just worked. She was quite... This is me. Take me as I am. I'll talk if I want to. I won't. She's and that was fine. We we pretty. You know, we got to know her quite quickly, didn't we? I like. I think that's great. Sort of take me as I am. Completely honest, and yeah. that's that, that's that's really great. And what about now? Is there a relationship with the the surrogate, or is it a case of you get your babies and you agree that that's the end of the relationship? I mean, it's not the end of the relationship, but because we had nothing in common. You know, I will we'll forever be grateful to her, and she knows that. But there is no contact really; that it's very sporadic. Um, you know, the baby's birthday, I wanted to acknowledge her, but not on the day. So the day before, I just wrote something, dedicated it to her. Because they just turned one, the twins. Yeah, yeah, they were one two and a half weeks ago, and she she acknowledged their birthday, obviously, and she knows how we feel. She knows that we'll always be grateful, but. Because there was no friendship there, I think that suited everybody. Because seeing her is a reminder that I never grew them inside me. I find it easier not not to have the contact because I don't need to be reminded that. It was hard enough that we talked about it a lot. There's, we don't we don't, we talk about everything. You know, obviously that was something that we needed to discuss in counselling. How would I feel? Um, with her carrying my babies well obviously I'd rather it was me but if it's the only way to have babies and I know that I made them then right so be it cook them and then hand them over please what's the deal with a surrogate are you still outside waiting or because it was a planned cesarean on my birthday she did that for you? She, well, <laughs> we went for a 36-week scan and we thought, that's it, it's going to be 38 weeks, it's going to be all the way to the end, and as it happened, it wasn't. She could only have one more person in the room with her at the time, and I wouldn't leave Howie. I didn't, I didn't feel that was fair, I wanted us to be together. And she had a birthing partner, her friend, so we agreed that she'd be in the room with the birthing partner and in an adjoining room, which we, we didn't watch what happened, but we 
Did you see one of them come out? I think yes. Howie saw one of them come out. There was a swing out. door and I saw the door swing and I saw one of the babies come out. And the babies are literally, they obviously, um, they do the caesarean and they're brought straight to the room where we are. Right. And they get cleaned up and they're literally given straight to us. Wow. Yeah. So we were waiting in an adjoining room with the two cubicles where the babies were going to be put into. And they were literally brought straight to us. She didn't hold them till afterwards she came to see us in the hospital room hours later because obviously having had a cesarean it's an operation she needed to be sorted out afterwards um and she spent hours with us didn't she she sat and her and a friend hours she sat with us and that was the last time we saw her until i saw her to for the birth certificate and then um because we need obviously needs to go down to the local office to you know register register the birth um, and we didn't see her. Uh, we didn't see her until uh, no, a few months ago. She came to the, she came to the house. And I'm presuming that with a birth certificate, I mean, you're, you're the you're the father and the mother, so there's no mention. It doesn't need to be mentioned on a birth certificate, does it? it no, it do, it doesn't quite work like that. Okay. So you have to go through the courts. You have to go through the courts. Okay. Um, you have to get something called a parental order. Right. So essentially, it's the only time a birth certificate can be changed. So legally. Um, because she wasn't married, um, on the, I go on the birth certificate and she goes on the birth certificate. And the only way to change that is by getting a parental order. So you have, you have to obviously apply for it and she has to give her consent, say this is all fine. And then we managed to do that five months later. That's when Jane, we both, Jane and I both got on the birth certificate. What a day that must have been as well. Like another kind of significant yeah. day in the timeline. Yeah. It's been a big year. It actually was all over quicker than we thought it would yeah. be. We just have to basically justify what we what we paid her because it's not legal. What, what the expenses anyway um, that we gave to her because it's not legal to pay a surrogate in this country. Right, that's it's legal the to use. Right, um, but you can't pay them. So obviously, the money we did spend on our expenses. journey of, with expenses, you just have to justify it through expenses. Yeah. So there's a whole load of information that we could discuss, but I, 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 what I'm keen to know, because I don't want to go into to more detail, I think maybe we do come back and have another more in-depth chat about kind of the ins and outs of, of surrogacy, because I just think it's it's amazing to hear how you both dealt with it and how remarkable this woman obviously was, but how matter-of-fact you've really been with the process and that you've just gone and got on with it. But as far as tips are concerned, would you say your biggest tip is to get that legal advice because there's obviously a minefield of information? Yes, because then you know where you stand. Yeah. Um, you know where you stand at the beginning and you know where you stand at the end and you just know what to do. Uh, and you've got something to fall back on because essentially we didn't know anything. I would say don't rush into it. Yes, you know, you might be desperate for a, another baby. I, I get that, I really do, but... We were very fortunate that we clicked first time, but you might need to meet a number of people or even join different groups before you find the right person for you. You know, she was only two hours away. Some people travel abroad. Some people travel from one side of the country to the other. You know, the trust, it has to be there. There's so many things. Just, it's a whole new world out there. Like, the whole surrogacy is just, you have to become educated in it. And And that's partly the reason, I know, for you with your blog, because I know you want to have that information out there, and I know from the conversations that we've had that you've got all sorts of to, to spread the awareness and to get more people familiar with the process as, as well the blog is our journey so our journey is the fact that I have got secondary infertility and the story is what happened about with that and the surrogacy so it's all linked 
depth. I want to almost give, give you know, not just support, but I've got my happy ending. And if I can give some people maybe a little bit of optimism and hope. Thank you so much. I mean, an amazing story. And like you say, you've got your happy ending. So now the family, we're saying the family's complete? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well Thank done you. for sticking Thank with you. it. I mean, an amazing story. So all of the details of Jane's blog and how you can follow her on Twitter are on the show notes. If you go to www.thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash episode 13, you can see it all there as well as how you can follow her on Twitter. Now, if this has made you think, I, I want to tell my story or I, I want to suggest something for a story, just email me stories at thefertilitypodcast.com or you can tweet me at fertilitypoddy. It's great to hear from you. You join in and sign in and review the podcast. I know I've said it on iTunes and on Stitcher because it does help me so much. Um, I might not be... Now, what I'm hoping to do is schedule up a couple more podcasts because, as I said at the start of this podcast, depending on when you're listening to it, um, it's it's February 2015 and I'm, I'm expecting my first baby in a week, which might be at any time, as lots of people keep telling me. So the next couple of podcasts are going to be ready to go. Really interesting stuff. We're going to be hearing from Naomi Wolfson, who's the founder of Mindful Mama, talking about the different techniques that she works with to help you through the fertility process. Uh, she's also taking part in the biggest online fertility summit, which is happening on the 8th of March. Uh, along with Sarah Holland, who you would have heard in episode 12 of the Fertility Podcast, and Dr. Marilyn Glenville, who is episode 11. Lots of my guests are going to be speaking at this big event, and all the details of how you can sign up are at thefertilitypodcast.com. So go there and click through, because it's all linked through to my pages, and it'd be great if I can send you to the Fertility Focus Tele Summit, because it promises to be an incredible event. Now, another future episode I just want to tell you about. We're going to be speaking to Susan Seenan, who you might have heard in episode two of the Fertility Podcast. She's the Chief Executive Officer of Infertility Network UK. She also works with Fertility Fairness. And at the end of March, 25th of March 2015, Fertility Fairness are involved in a parliamentary reception trying to really put the spotlight on the postcode lottery which you may or may not know much about how many cycles of IVF you're eligible for depending on where you live in the UK now if this is something you're currently going through do keep your eye out for the podcast sign up at thefertilitypodcast.com to make sure you don't miss it because it's going to be really good information about how you can lobby how you can try and get your MP involved all the details that you need and we're going to be speaking to Sheila Lamb, who at the beginning of this month, February 2015, launched the magazine My Fertility Specialist. But Sheila not only has done a brilliant thing with this magazine, she's got a fascinating story of how she uh, managed to start a family aged 47. Loads coming up, as I'm sure you'll agree, on the Fertility Podcast. That's about it from me. I really hope you've taken something away from this podcast. If it's only signing up to hear the next one, the one action that you take is to put your email address at thefertilitypodcast.com. That is a good thing because I can only promise you what I hope will be useful information. So, until the next time. The Fertility Podcast, a place for women and men to share and hear stories about the fertility journey.